Ideas can be farmed. The seeds of ideas can be planted, cultivated, harvested, distributed, and consumed. For ideas about growing, marketing, and consuming food, Idea Farming Consultancy was created to help organizations tell their stories and grow their brands. And for conversations about ideas that will matter, we have the Farm to Table Talk podcast. To connect on strategic consultancy, go to idea-farming.com. And to hear the ideas we're watching, stay tuned for Farm to Table Talk. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Farm to Table Talk visits with people that care about how our food is being produced. And it's always enjoyable to be able to visit with people that have strong feelings and real interest in where agriculture is heading. And I'm, I'm happy to welcome Ben Goldsmith to the room today. Uh, ben, welcome to Farm to Table Talk. You are paying attention to how food is produced and how we talk about how it's produced. And you've got some interesting terms that drew my attention. It's kind of, you call it humane washing. And you have an organization called Farm Forward. So, Ben, welcome to Farm to Table Talk. And first of all, tell, explain Farm Forward. I like the name. But what is it? Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Farm Forward is the was founded in 2007. We're the first organization in the United States that I know of uh, that was that that works uh, to end factory farming. So we our our goal is is to see the end of factory farming and to replace it with a more equitable, sustainable, and humane farm system. You know, so how do you des describe factory farming? I mean, I have some ideas and the people talk about it in all kinds of different ways. But in, when you say factory farming, what is that? Mm -hmm. um, th absolutely. Th there are a uh, hundred different ways you could define it. Um, there's a, an EPA definition uh, based on the size of an operation and the sort of waste uh, disposal it uses um, and, and containment. Um, for, for me personally, uh, we moved to factory farming when we broke the connection between, uh, farmers, the people raising animals and the animals themselves. Uh, and that began with an intensification of the way we were, we were housing them, uh, the way we were transporting them and, and certainly the way we were slaughtering them. Um, we no longer have thriving farm communities. Um, industries have come in and really broken those up. And, um, you know, the, it, it, it's, it's that we've shifted a focus from giving animals the best lives possible to producing them as quickly as possible and for as little money as possible. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and when you say that, the, the image I have that I, th I believe you have in mind would be confinement, what we call confinement, say, hog operations or chicken operations that have huge, huge numbers. 
in a building. Uh, they're not outside in pastures. They're almost always within within a building. And that um, what's a factory like about it? It's very intensive of pushing through as as many animals as you can as fast as you can to be able to produce as much as you can to make as much as you can but there are confinement buildings that kind of at the center of it it's again especially i think for hogs and poultry to some extent dairy the the very large dairies would fall in into that category as well in the case of beef it's it's normally uh in four or five states large feedlots that have thousands and thousands of cattle on feed in open lots. And they've kind of gotten concentrated into four or five states. I mean, there's some feeding going on in many more states than that. But the, the big share used to be, I don't know, 80, 90 percent would be feedlots in four or five states. But generally speaking, would it be fair to say those are the kind of units that you're really referring to primarily? In terms of the the sort of physical manifestation of factory farming, just the uh, the way we're housing animals and and raising them, yes, absolutely. Um, there are many facets to factory farming, of course. I mean, there are uh, consequent there, there are labor issues, um, environmental issues, uh, some of which are are tied to the um, the the just the density in which animals are housed and the kinds of facilities you described. Um, and, and I think th those, those facilities are, are representative of the break that I'm speaking about. Um, it used to be that you had farmers who were, knew the, knew their land, like the back of their hand, um, came from probably generations of husbandry knowledge, uh, in communities with deep knowledge of, of, uh, the breeds, uh, the conditions throughout the seasons, um, and, and today it's, it's more of a one size fits all. Um, and, and as you said, you know, these operations are unimaginable if you haven't seen them yourself. Um, you have just an unbelievable number of animals confined in such a small space that there's no way to have a relationship with them. Um, and it's so few people managing so many that um, all sorts of things go on that, that wouldn't if more people were, were present, if, if uh, there were more people per animal, I guess. Um, and just sort of this lack of husbandry experience, uh, skill that we've taken away from, from farmers, um, it, has, it has dire consequences for animal welfare. You know, it reminds me, I think it was Wendell Berry, or maybe that said that the most important thing that uh, that you can apply to a farm uh, is the um, is the farmer's shadow um, that is out there looking at the crops, and that brings up another question. So, when you talk about your concern with factory farms, are is it exclusive to animal production, or do you do you expand it to to look at crops as well? Um, you know, we're uh, we're a social justice organization, so we. Um, are, are allied with a number of organizations that focus on issues in, in uh, crop production. Um, but Farm Forward is specifically uh, focused on farm animal production. 
So when you, so you, if you focus on, well, one thing I want to go back to, you, you mentioned one size fits all. And one thing I, I know is a, as a criticism of, of the larger scale operations is they get a formula, say with genetics and feed programs, and then they just stick to it. So all of them are using some combination of whatever, uh, one or two breeds and the heritage breeds get lost in the shuffle. And I know that applies, I think, even to some grains and, uh, and vegetables as well, is that when you try to get the uniformity to accomplish scale, um, you know, lots of, of variety of genetics kind of get overlooked. And I, I know that that's an issue too. It's some of the smaller scale operations that are keeping uh, heritage breeds going that otherwise might have disappeared by now. I think you really hit the nail on the head. Um, and in some ways, uh, I think the just sort of the, the better embodiment of factory farming, just sort of the ethos of factory farming is genetics, uh, as opposed to the way we house the animals. Um, it, it all comes back to genetics. We wouldn't be able to raise as many animals as inexpensively and as quickly as we do now without intensive breeding programs that have gone on for decades. Uh, where, where strains of animals are selected based on the expression of very specific genes uh, to give these massive corporations, which historically have been owned by the pharmaceutical industry, um, the, just the traits that they're looking for. And it, 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 again, I mean, the consequences for animal welfare are, are, are dire. Um, we're, we're not raising it. We're not breeding animals for health and longevity. We're breeding them uh, actually to, to, to see how far we can push them, you know, to see how, how far uh, we can push their production before they, they simply can't survive. Well, I, you know, have to say I, I raised pigs. And so I remember going and picking out, making decisions on genetics. And we were really genetically modifying because we were, you know, going and picking out a Duroc boar that had big hams to cross it with a, a Duroc sow that didn't have those hams and so forth. So genetics isn't new. Um, I, I think that with the goal of genetics, um, you're, you're raising an inter interesting point as far as whether it's, you know, for the throughput um, of what the priorities are. They still want to produce a lot of meat and flavorful, I'm sure. But uh, but anyway, it's it's uh, when I look at the broad sweep of things, I hear these discussions and it's hard for me not relating back to the fact that I've been around thousands of pigs and I've seen been pigs in barns and sheds and and um, raise them myself and know people that raise them and know people that are large and know people that are small and and everywhere in between um and, and there's the the thing that i think right now that's interesting is say your organization itself is that uh you represent somebody and now a group and you know, people in an organization that are concerned and, and care about how livestock is produced and what are these these practices that's different uh again when i was uh, when i was a kid there weren't that many people asking questions probably and uh, now a lot of people are asking questions so how did you um well first of all what motivated you personally was there some experience did you go to some farm or someplace or you knew somebody that was um, kind of abusing the system? I mean, did you have a personal farm experience that got you into this? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I, was, I have a two-year-old um, 
and his whole life he's uh he's been fascinated by by trucks um very very typical boy things equipment and uh, i asked my mom who was here visiting recently whether i was ever interested in trucks at all and she said no um you you've always you've always uh been fascinated by animals so i i just i i have some sort of orientation where i've always paid a lot of attention to animals um and i care a lot about their welfare it's very important to me and yes um i visited a a large uh hog operation when i was in in early high school um it, you know as a field trip it, it wasn't um it wasn't supposed to be shocking uh but i i i couldn't get those images out of my mind um sows in confinement and that that had a big impression on me so i've i've been folk i never intended to become uh, an activist um but there was so much work to do that it i i the work found me did you um um, did you go to to college and study journalism or something, or were you have you did you have some interim step after those really early experiences that gave you the tools to be able to communicate or organize? Um, yes, uh, activist experience specifically. Um, I did go to college, and um, I studied psychology and philosophy. Uh, so um, you know nothing really there. Um, but you know i I'd, I'd like to think it it taught me to to write and think critically and i did become very uh, politically active in college uh did a lot of grassroots organizing and um developed those skills and and that's where i say you know my plan was actually to go to law school um but i was offered jobs as a as an organizer and and working in these spaces um and then i tried to leave activism actually uh at one point and um was was actually about to start law school when I got a call to uh, help finish the book Eating Animals, the book that became Eating Animals by Jonathan Saffron Foer. Mm -hmm. So I worked on that project uh, for about half a year, and then Farm Forward really uh, grew out of that effort. So, for, so Farm Forward now, uh, do people uh, join you? Do you is are you a, a membership organization, or are they able? To, do you get grants? How do you how do you support? the the entity uh we do we we, we get uh, a lot of private donations no we we don't we don't cultivate a, a membership per se but we do have a lot of uh people who are engaged with us we have um you know communications for people who want to follow our work um we send out action alerts and uh, as i've said you know we're, we're partnered with other social justice movements and help spread the word about some of their initiatives as well so uh we're, we're, we're definitely engaged with the public uh, we re receive funding from them and um, from foundations and, and large donors. Um, we, we also have a consulting wing, so we, we have some earned income as well. So what if a, um, say if a larger farming operation was in confinement buildings right now and so forth, can they, could they come to you and say, how can we be better? I mean, short of tearing down all the barns, uh, uh, is there some sort of uh, consulting with farmers or farm organizations that want to go more in the direction that you are, that you're able to work with them? Absolutely. Farm Forward wouldn't be the organization that actually saw them through that process. Um, 
but this this ties back to uh, I think why why you asked me to to join you today. Uh, it, it comes back to animal welfare certification. Mm-hmm. So you have a variety of certification agencies in the United States and elsewhere that provide sets of standards. Uh, some of these organizations uh, provide varying levels of guidance and assistance to farmers uh, who want to improve their welfare standards and, and become part of a program. Um, and obviously, you know, there are distribution channels that open up uh, for some of these for some of these certifications. So if, if a farmer wants to sell into Whole Foods Market, for example, they they would need a, a certification from a program called Global Animal Partnership or GAP. Uh, and, and GAP has a variety of tiers of their certification. So step one is sort of a base level, uh, all the way up to five plus, which is which is either aspirational or or as good as anyone in the country. Well, that is what caught my attention. You sent a news release to me, and and with my podcast now, I'm hearing from people every day and uh, suggesting that they might, you know, be a guest on a podcast. And I, I look at them, and some of them really, you know, catch my attention. And you did because uh, you were talking about humane washing, and we're uh, we've talked a lot about green washing and companies that are trying to put a good face on that they are greener than perhaps they deserve to be called sometimes. And you're using that term uh, for uh, humane that I assume that means that people are trying to put a good spin on what they're doing, and but they may not really earn it. Is that fair to say? Or I'm sure you could say it better than I just did. Uh, I, you, I think you have that right. Um, the, the parallels to greenwashing are, are pretty stark. Um, you know, in, in green, greenwashing, you have, for example, uh, let's say an oil company that has lead certification for their main headquarters, um, you know, sort of sending the message to anyone who walks through their door that they're a progressive, uh, sort of uh, environmentally minded institution. Um, you, you also have uh, in, in greenwashing, you know, these just branding initiatives where you see these commercials on TV for uh, BP or Shell talking all about you know, their uh, environmental sustainability and, and their investments in um, sustainable infrastructure. And these are marketing techniques. Um, you know, we all know that these companies exist to profit on uh, fossil fuels. They have no intention of, le- of letting those revenue streams go anytime soon. Um, and in fact, you know, actively fight legislation, have for years, um, fight science, undermine science, so uh, in the same way, these, these companies uh, see the value, you know, they, they can see that, that, that Americans, uh, that consumers care about the environment, they care about global warming. Um, I think most Americans care about animals, uh, probably all Americans care about animals. And um, so, so they've, they've recognized that they can, they can earn a premium for their product and they can sort of appease uh, consumers' worries about uh, sort of the, the, uh, the any sustainability concerns or welfare concerns by projecting an image uh, that's very different from reality, um, and that can happen in subtle ways, uh, like just using sort of green product labels, uh, you know, just literally the color green. Um, using meaningless terms like all natural to market their products 
And then there, there are more insidious uh, certifications in the animal welfare space that um, actually create very progressive sounding certifications about animal welfare when really they're doing nothing different than, uh, than any other factory farm. I would say, though, that there's a different stage in that. Some don't care at all. Um, so at least those that are what you're calling humane washing or could be called greenwashing, um, you can question their motives, but perhaps they recognize at least that their consumers care about this. Now, now we got to deal with being honest and, you know, making sure that's addressing the facts. But uh, when you pick like the retailer you picked, um, we're going to explain that a little bit of what you thought was an example of why they didn't deserve to get the credit they were. But on the other hand, I just want to acknowledge up front, they at least decided that they wanted to say something. And uh, obviously, they need to be saying things that are honest. Uh, and and that's where you're catching them, is that that perhaps what they were, their claims, why don't you explain this? So the, the, the claims that they were making that got your attention uh, were were evidently not legitimate claims, or there were exaggerations, and, and you called them on them. Is that explain that for me. In some cases, yes. Um, though not, not with Whole Foods exactly. Um, Farm Forward was a, 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 had a seat on the, the board of Global Animal Partnership Gap uh, since its inception until last year when we resigned. Um, the, the issue with Whole Foods and Global Animal Partnership is that it, it's transitioned away from being a, a a tool for um, moving us toward more sustainable and ethical farming to being a tool, a marketing tool in the ways that, you know, I was, I was just saying mm-hmm. um, their, their labels are getting uh, vaguer as opposed to more specific. Their standards are getting uh, in some cases lower uh, instead of more stringent. There hasn't been an effort to move producers up these standards. They haven't invested in, um, in, in helping producers who want to do better or who have an interest in doing better because they can earn more for their products, uh, move up that, that five, five step system that I described. And, um, they've fallen far short of, uh, a couple of things. One is, um, promoting the best producers that sell into whole foods where they don't do enough to distinguish their products, these top products from the more generic products that have much lower certification standards. Um, and on consumer education, where I think they, they've, they've, they're actually taking advantage of consumers instead of seeing this as a point of sale opportunity to educate them. Yeah. That, and so when you engage on that, uh, you know, on the one hand, are communicating with consumers to kind of buyer beware in a, in a way. And, and the other is, is, I suppose, it encourages the consumers to put pressure on the stores to get back to uh, the, more of the discipline that they had initially. Uh, so is that the, the purpose for the press release and for your contact is that, that you want to get them to be get back on track, that they were doing some things right, but they were slipping? Absolutely. Um, it's, it's to get Gap back on track. Um, it, it's to uh, draw attention to the, just the, the ubiquity of humane washing, that this is something that goes on not just at Whole Foods. I mean, this happens at, at, all, at all stores um, and on really all products the same way as, as greenwashing has become uh, so, so common. Um, 
so we're, you know, we want to make consumers aware, uh, make your listeners aware that the, the, the labels they're seeing in the store may not reflect the, the reality of what's gone on. I know you must have heard about Prop 12 in California. How do you feel about that, that, uh, that where you ended up having a vote that's actually the law is going to go into effect this next year that um, is prescribing minimum space requirements for especially veal and dairy, uh, let's see, veal and pork and, and poultry. Um, how do you feel about that? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert on Prop 12. Um, I wasn't involved in that initiative or campaign. Um, it, it, it's not the sort of thing that Farm Forward has ever uh, involved ourselves with. Farm Forward's much more focused on the high end, um, on small farmers doing things right. Uh, there are a number of other organizations, uh, much larger and much more powerful than we are, that, that address that low end. Um, they describe sort of raising the floor of animal welfare across the board. Um, our theory of change, change is a little bit different. Uh, we believe that if you raise the ceiling, um, if, we, if we're honest with, with consumers, if we're honest with each other about the ways in which we're raising these animals, and if we really highlight the, the, these farmers who are, who are brilliant and skilled and, and, and focused on sustainability, animal welfare, uh, and, and the rest, Consumers will begin to be able to tell the difference between, you know, alternatives to factory farming and factory farming. And right now, I think there's really no way to tell. Um, and, you know, I, I, this is an experience common. I think everyone, you, you go into the store, you stand in front of maybe just the, you know, the egg case. And you look around and you see just sort of the price range and you see this variety of, of, of brands and labels. And I think many of your listeners are, are you know, uh, looking for uh, the products that that come from the best the best farms farms that treat their their workers the best uh, certainly the animals the best um, and the problem with humane washing is that it makes it impossible for shoppers to be able to differentiate between the the producers who are meaningfully different and the producers who just want to present the image of being different. Well, you know, I just want to circle back, though, at the beginning, we were saying that one of your goals is to, to do away with factory farming. I mean, of course, there are, I mean, there are families that are depending on these buildings. We might not agree what they're doing, but if you do away with factory farming, um, there, there's a lot of people that are going to lose their livelihoods from that taking place. So, so what happens? I mean, how does, I'm not quite sure how that happens exactly. I, I hear what you're saying as far as raising the demand and having people be more selective, and that makes some sense. That's a, that's a slow process. Uh, I don't know if you've got any other ideas uh, as far as, you know, to actually end factory farming. Um, or is it just the communications role that you're going to be playing? Um, no, uh, we're, I'm, I'm dead serious about ending factory farming. Uh, factory farming is a recent invention. And it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a very bad idea. And in fact, it's, it's so unsustainable that it's inevitable that factory farming will end. Uh, it's, it likely won't be in my lifetime, may not be in my son's lifetime. Uh, but the, this system is bad for everyone. It, it's consolidating wealth in, you know, in, in corporate hands. Uh, and it, 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 all of the, 
um, consequences of factory farming you know, are, are borne by uh, regular Americans who have to live in communities where these farms exist, um, who have to pay for the healthcare costs of people eating unhealthy food. Um, and we're not, we're just, we're going to, uh, these systems are, are going to fall apart. They, they, they're not, they're not financially viable without, uh, incredible subsidies. Uh, and it, it's, it's just a, it's a system that's going to break. Well, on the other hand, there may be somebody listening to this that is, um, um, in these organizations that are representing hog farmers and, and, you know, they're going to be disappointed that you're so against them. And if they, if, if they think, well, how, how do we, how do we get on your good side? Uh, you know, if they're, if they're saying like, Oh, we've got all these hog farmers already, there are thousands and thousands of hog farmers and poultry farmers and so forth. And they're involved in this and, and they would, you know, and again, then they'd like to say, well, how do we keep from having people like Ben decide that their mission has to be to see our, our businesses go away? Is there any advice for them short of quitting? Uh, I really, I appreciate that question. Thank you. It gives me an opportunity to, to uh, clarify some things. Um, farm forward. And, and I'll, I'll just speak for myself. You know, I am the opposite of anti-farmer. Uh, I've made a career of working closely with farmers, uh, being a farmer advocate, being a consumer advocate. Um, my job isn't to put farmers out of business. It's, it's to make these systems more equitable uh, and more sustainable. I, I can say, you know, I, 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 I'm, not in a, I'm not on the bad side of many farmers who know me. Uh, I, I can't think of an example of one. Um, and these are, you know, these are all sorts of farmers. Um, what I'm, I've never spoken to a factory farmer who was entirely happy, um, particularly those who come from uh, generations of farmers who remember what their farm used to be like compared to what it is now. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's not a lifestyle that many farmers I know, uh, you know, would, would choose if they could, uh, choose, choose an alternative. And I, I see my job as, as advocating for that alternative. Um, we're, we're not going to stop eating meat. Uh, it's not going to happen. Uh, I think what needs to happen is that we eat less meat and better meat and that we, uh, begin to, to support, uh, the, the farmers who, uh, who, who are, who are, have the most uh, just and sustainable operations. You know, I can't, I can't resist. I have to mention, I've talked to some happy and unhappy farmers that are in those systems. And I've talked to some that didn't like they were in, uh, in some sort of a contractual relationship and they wish that it had never happened. I've talked to a couple that had good, a good program. And what their sadness was is that people don't have a way of differentiating. You know, exactly. I mean, they, they might have thousands and thousands of hogs, but they're treating them right. And they have the people they're treating right and so forth. And that they feel badly is that they get painted with the same broad brush. So I don't know how we get around that, Ben, except that we just keep talking about it. Well, that's, that's, that's truly why I'm here. You know, it, it's, it's about differentiating, just being able to distinguish the good from the bad. And 
um, that's, that's the problem with humane washing. So I appreciate your taking this time to explain this and, and it's, um, it's an interesting area and there's so much to get into. And, and if people want to know more about, uh, farm forward, uh, how do they learn more about what you're doing? Uh, yeah, I thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, uh, our website is farmforward.com. Uh, we have a newsletter. Folks can sign up, uh, follow us on social media. Um, and of course, uh, any of your listeners are always welcome to reach out to me directly. Uh, there's a contact form on our website and that'll go to me. Oh, good. Well, Ben Goldsmith and with Farm Forward, thanks for being on Farm to Table Talk. Thanks for having me. Hear that? It's not just an egg breaking. It's the world's best omelet. Maybe it's your grandma's favorite recipe, a dinner party showstopper, or perhaps it's just a snack when you're really, really hungry. It could be the meal that keeps a girl in school or the food that fuels a nation. And when it's farmed properly, that little egg could be the whole world's future. It's simple. Good food is everything. Join the conversation. Search UN Good Food for All. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. If you like what you hear, go to farmtotabletalk.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter or go to iTunes to subscribe and give us a review and a rating. Thanks for listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Roger Wasson.